So we're leapfrogging over these posts, and I was like, oh, cool, yeah, that's my turn. And then I busted my ass and broke both my arms at the same time, and it was like a sobering moment. I see. And, you know, here it is. It's like, I, oh, I can't... showing me his arm here. I, I can't bend my arm past 90 degrees. Wow, and, you really you can't. Know, yeah. That's it. That's in- insane. Like, yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So, uh, leapfrogging is very dangerous, it apparently. Is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's going in your biography. Yeah, never, right? never yeah. do that. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Hello, and welcome to Brood in Bangkok. This is Siddhant. Now, one of my favorite things about living in Bangkok is that it's a true melting pot. And by that, I mean you can try a new cuisine every day or every week rather and never run out of new things to try and, and do, you know. You can meet people from all over the world and it's, it's always going to be an interesting conversation. Never, never the same thing again and again. And What's really amazing is that sometimes we have these assumptions, these widely held assumptions that we know a foreign culture that we've been particularly exposed to. But it just takes a few individuals to change that. And one of those for me was meeting Matthew Fisher, our guest today. Matthew is from Wisconsin, which is a state in America that doesn't get a lot of coverage, a lot of press coverage. And what Matthew has done is take his life and time in Wisconsin as a cook. And when he came to Bangkok, he came with an open mind and went around Thailand and learned a lot of things before putting it all back into Fatty's diner and bar with his wife Kay. What they've done is they've created a space where people can come and unwind and relax. And he's created an environment which just accepts people. And that's what he wants people to feel like that they're in his house and he's just get, getting them to have a good time. His food is, of course, quite excellent. I did end up trying it and I found it very, very good. It's American comfort food, which is done a little bit differently from what I've tried in my lifetime so far. But what really struck me about Matthew was his passion for things. And by that, I also mean that there's another thing that he does, which is very important, I think, to Bangkok in general. And that's nurture the indie music scene. And that's not something very easy to do for an outsider, to come into another country and and try and put wings underneath the music scene, which is sort of really underground and not supported by a lot of people. Matthew wants you to come to his bar and have a good time. Enjoy the food, enjoy the company. And perhaps you will. But he has so many stories to share. And this podcast is a great example of the kind of character he is. So I hope you enjoy it. So Matthew Fisher. Yes. Thailand, you are here. There's a bar called Fatty's Bar. And we want to know about you by extension of your bar as well. Okay. How did you get here? I feel like there's a long version and a lot of people already know it. Yeah, well, airplane. Airplane. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can tell us in excruciating detail how the flight went. <laughs> yeah, it was... I don't know. I think I take I took some Xanax and didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, man, that's a long flight. No, how I how I got here. Yeah, it was the year two thousand eight. Yeah, early spring, and uh, the local gro- grocery where I worked. Um, okay, they were employing a whole bunch of Thai people there. At Happens the time. at groceries. Yeah, and I so suppose. there was like nine people. Where where was this grocery? This was in Sister Bay, Wisconsin. Ah. Where all the Thai people live. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Where, I don't know, yeah, they're probably the only Thai people that have ever been to Sister Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts is that? Uh, well, it's it's uh, in northern Door County, and Door County is the peninsula that juts out into Lake Michigan that sticks off of the mainland okay. Wisconsin. Okay. So, there's only two things I know about Wisconsin. Is it close to the football stadium? Uh, well... Green Bay Packers. Yeah, that's uh, the one. It's a couple hours away, just a, almost two hours drive. Okay. So not not 
especially close. No. Not even in American Wisconsin terms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've actually never been to a football game at Lambeau oh, That's Field. why they kicked you out. Huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so here we are uh, in the picturesque Sister Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. And in terms of the... In terms of the other place that I know, which is Milwaukee. Yes. How far away That's is that? That's about three or four hours drive. Okay. So, we are really in a place that none of us have any idea where it is it's, unless we actually went it's there. It's far away. Yeah. Okay. I remember a couple of years ago when I was going home, I was driving. Uh, my friend rented a car and we drove from Chicago up to my home in Wisconsin. And I remember like looking out the window and thinking like, man, we're just getting farther and farther away from anything at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people like that, to be fair. Yeah, well. Uh, uh, did you have those kinds of people in your town as well? They're like, oh, I like the peace yeah. and quiet. And, well, of course, man. Yeah, yeah. obviously. I, I, you know, there's not too many people up there. And that's, you know, that's something. But everyone knows each other too, you know. It's like. That's nice. What do people like business. to do there? Fish, hunt. A lot of fishing, sort of... a lot of hunting, yeah, a lot of rednecks, uh, a lot of potheads, you know. There's all kinds of different people, you know, because there's like the, there's the, they call us. The natives. The natives? Yeah, the people that live there all year. That doesn't sound condescending at it's, all. Well, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. No, but these all these people from, like, rich people from Illinois and shit, they have their summer homes up there. Okay. And there's, like, a lot of cabins and stuff, these people with their summer homes. And they call themselves the locals. And then uh, we're the natives. How does that work? Uh, yeah, but really, they're the tourists. Yeah. You know? you, how can you be the local if you don't live there? You don't and, even live there. And, and, there and the locals are the natives, right? Like. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's like I, I have said many times, it's a great place to be from, a better place to get away from. Okay. That's yeah. actually a very nice way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've put some thought into that. It's Yeah, I've, I've said it quite a few times now, and the more I say it, I, I, it really starts to make even more sense to me. Wonderful. But I do miss my family and stuff. I miss visiting. Ah, there you go. But back to the story. Story at hand, yeah. All the people working at that grocery store, one of them turned out to be my wife. Now we just got married last year. Did you year. tell her, excuse me, are you are my wife? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think you might be my wife. Yeah. She's like, oh, golly, I guess I am. Yeah. Uh, actually, the uh, upon our meeting, when we first really got talking to each other, her supervisor came over and asked her if she uh, asked for my ID card because I bought some beer. Oh, okay. And I had just turned 21, which is the legal age to buy alcohol in Wisconsin. Okay. And she didn't ask me for my ID card. And so the supervisor came over. She was the checkout girl, you know. Yeah. Supervisor came over and said, did you ask her for his ID card? And I was like, no, it's okay. We know each other. And she's like, yeah, it's okay. We know each other. <laughs> We're husband and wife, you yeah. see. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, that was a, it, was a, it was my in. So after I got my beer and stuff and whatever else I bought, probably a gallon of milk because beer and milk. beer and a gallon of milk. What was, could go wrong? That's the most common shopping trip in Wisconsin. I yeah, think. I think you're not supposed to buy milk with everything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to, yeah. yeah. Pick up a gallon of milk on your way home. <laughs> Water the plants with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so after after that was all done, I said, "Well, you know, since we know each other." Yeah. Maybe we should go out sometime. Smooth. <laughs> did, did anyone applaud? <laughs> so I got her to come yeah. out to meet me at this bar. And uh, she brought all of the other nine Thai people that were living in this house working at the Piggly Wiggly. That, that's a perfect Thai move, though. <laughs> and like, she told me later that like one of them had a knife and stuff. <laughs> oh, damn. I've ordered this before. Like, yeah. Where they, you go out on a date with the Thai girl and then she's like, oh, by the way, my mom and my aunt are like two <laughs> tables away. Or, or, they're just watching. No, no, no problem. Don't you worry know, about just it. Just want to know what's up, you know. Mm. Uh, I just have to check in. Uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's gone. Yeah, yeah, that was, so that was, that was fun. But we did, you know, we sparked up a little romance over that spring and, uh, and then she was gone and out of my life. That sucks. Yeah, she yeah. went back to, to Bangkok and went back to, to school and university. Okay. And I went back to work and I was cooking food. Okay. And uh, then I went to Kangaroo Lake, which is a pretty good fishing spot up there in Door County. Uh, and my friend had a house right on Kangaroo Lake and we just got shit-faced, man, drinking margaritas and stuff. It was like 
near my birthday, I think. Okay. But I was with my brother and some other friends. And we were like leapfrogging over some posts. And I was, you know, my brother is like a lot taller than me and much more athletic than yeah. I am. Yeah. So we're leapfrogging over these posts and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's my turn. And then I busted my ass and broke both my arms at the same time. And it was like a sobering moment. I see. Of And, you know, here it is. It's like, I, st- I can't. He's showing me his arm here. I, I can't bend my arm past 90 degrees. Wow. And, you really you can't. Know, yeah. That's it. That's in- insane. Like, yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So, uh, leapfrogging is very dangerous, it apparently. Is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's going in your biography. Yeah, never, like, never yeah. do that. I mean, you're going to have to be the guy that broke both arms leapfrogging. Yeah, exactly. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> do don't, not. Don't, yes. don't leapfrog drunk. Don't leapfrog ever. Add that to the I list mean, of things you can't do drunk, but you're going to do anyway because you're all, all degenerate. Yeah, that's, that, I mean, it's like, yeah. don't do that drunk, like... Well, I got to get drunk to have the guts to do it, right? Yeah. Okay, listeners, none of y'all are degenerates. It's fine. Unless y'all want to be. Uh, no, you are You are definitely all degenerates. Okay. Yeah. But that's Matthew's opinion <laughs> right there. So, you broke your arms and then? And then I uh, I couldn't work. Okay. So, Seems you know, because I'm a cook, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Cook with two broken arms is like pretty useless. Yeah. So... Unless you could magically cook with your mouth or something, I don't know. I don't think people would be into that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some videos. Of, have you seen this? This girl's like making a salad. Making a salad. And she's like biting off pieces of cucumber and like spitting it out into the bowl. Yeah, I don't think people would be into that. Yeah. <laughs> like how to make a salad with no knife. And it's like, what the hell? But yeah, so anyway, I lost my job. Uh, not like I, they're like, you know, fired me or something, but yeah. they... Uh, you know, I couldn't work. Yeah. So I'm I'm laying around my house just like, shit, man, I can't do nothing. Can't even pull my pants up. <laughs> you needed help with that, yeah. So I got to thinking, and, uh, you know, this was obviously maybe on the, on, on the burner already anyway, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get over this. I'm going to get myself some money, and I'm going to go back to school. That's a great idea. Yeah. So I did all that and stuff and, uh, you know, I went to Green Bay and looked at some apartments and I was about to sign up for this apartment and, uh, you know, I was enrolled in classes and stuff. And then I just got kind of freaked out. What freaked you out? I don't know. I just like, I just like saw my future or something. You saw your future? For a second. It didn't look good. And I remember I was thinking I was in the was in the parking lot of like a casino or something in Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, well, your future doesn't my, look good. In my casino. mom's car. Okay. And I'm listening to the radio and it's like Barack Obama's inauguration speech or something. Okay. And I was just thinking about, you know, that was exciting for me and thinking about the world and what was going to happen and all that stuff. I mean, this is 10 years ago, you know. So like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And for a minute I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should get the hell out of here. Okay. And so that was it. And that was just my decision. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going to take some of this cash and go to Bangkok and see what's going on. Okay. And that was it. Okay. And then a few trips later? A few trips later, yeah. So I think I stayed for like three months that time around. Okay. And then I went back to Wisconsin and I think I had already decided that I wasn't going to live in Wisconsin anymore. Yeah. You know, by the time I went back the first time. But, uh, you know, over the years, I did I did go back and work a little bit and stuff because I was teaching here and I, you know. Yeah. I was trying to get jobs and it wasn't super easy. But, but yeah, I, so I went back and worked for like a summer one time at the restaurant that I worked at for many years. Okay. And I went back and worked in the winter for a while at a nursing home, which was hell. That was like a low point in my life. Yeah. It was never fun. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute low point in my life, yeah. Okay. So, when you first got the job, a job as a teacher here, what was the scene like? Because this is such a, it's almost too cliched at this point. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I'm an English teacher in Thailand, but I I distinctly remember there was something different about your teaching job. Well, maybe not too different. When I first, the first time I ever got a teaching job, the first time I ever taught anything other than like, you know, maybe a guitar lesson or something when I was younger. Yeah. Was in a government school in St. Anacom, 
something like that. Yeah. And it was me and there was this one other guy that was an Italian guy. And we were the only two English teachers for a school that was like grade one all the way up to grade six or something like that. Okay. So these are little kids. I remember coming home from that after the first day, just like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can, this, people do this as a job yeah. and they like, like it. Like what uh, the hell? Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, I got over that easily. It it wasn't long and I did fall in love with a lot of the kids and stuff, but you know, this was the job that would take me because, uh, you know, I didn't finish my degree. I didn't have any, I had nothing. I had no uh, TEFL or any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, they did take me there and I worked there for maybe two semesters, I guess. But then they told me, they're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to pay your paycheck until next semester. Ah. And I was like, there's like two more months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, well, if you can just keep working. Like, we went over budget and stuff. I'm like, you went over budget? With the budget that is my money, like that's, it's not enduring, yeah. But that was that was kind of my introduction into like you know workplace politics and Bangkok and stuff. Yeah. Know? Okay. But so I so I, that job I got rid of that job and then yes I we did briefly speak about this before I got a really awesome job through a, one of the girls that was actually in Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, a friend of my wife's who just had her birthday the other day. Happy birthday, kick. So, she she worked for this agency where they did, like, placement of English teachers, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the fact that she was my friend definitely helped me get hooked up with this job. And I got a job as a substitute teacher uh, with a salary. So, I got paid, like, 35000 baht a month all the time, even if I didn't go to work at all. Wow. And we're talking about, like, 2011 here or 2012? That was, like, 2009, Okay, that's that's very nice money for yeah. 2009. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was great, man. Yeah. And they, you know, they would call me up at five in the morning sometimes and say, hey, you got to go to work now. And I was like, all right. But a lot of times the subs would go out of Bangkok to go and like, you know, someone had to go to immigration or whatever, you know. Yeah. So we would get like a, like week-long jobs or something out of town or just a few days out of town. Okay. And they would pay for all the travel on top of the salary and pay for all the accommodation. So, I just got to like take buses all around Thailand and go and, you know, and that was super easy. You didn't have to do any lesson plans or any of that stuff. Yeah, it's it was, already ready for you. You just got to hang out and wait for the other guy to come back. Yeah. So, that was great. So, it was literally like you get dropped in to continue like three days or four days of lessons yeah, and very rarely was it anything that was, like, serious. Like, what, did I have to administer a test or anything like that, you know? So, okay. So, just kind of hang out, man. Mostly just talking to kids from all around Thailand about football and stuff like that. <laughs> the good stuff. So, how did this uh, impact your teaching career, let's say? Uh, my teaching career was never super serious, it was good. It was it, that was that, that was a golden year of doing that. That was nice. But I did. I learned a lot about you know going to all the different schools and stuff. And yeah, seeing how different people interact and stuff, and visiting a lot of Thailand as well. Yeah, that was really great. You know, I got to go to places I I haven't been since, and I, you know would have no reason to go to otherwise. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I went to Sukhothai a couple times, and like Trot and stuff, and like you know. Got to go and see some cool stuff, and a lot of a lot of self reflection too. You know, a lot of there's something about spending time alone in hotel rooms. You know, and back then where it was like, geez, I didn't have a smartphone or anything. Like, yeah, yeah. You had to be on your own. On you had a book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just go and read a book. Yeah, pretty much. And it was great. Eating weird food, you know, I've never had before. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was it was really good, but it was kind of. You know, it had to run its course, I guess. And what did you find after that? Like, what was your um, thing after that? After that, I think actually after that was when I went back and worked in the nursing home for a little while uh, back in America. And then I came back here and I started working in this bar as like the the musical director. Okay, uh, yeah. Sort of programming while. guy. Yeah, putting on bands and, you know, c contacting the bands and stuff. So I did that for a few months. But the bar was kind of on its way out, you know. Okay. Which bar was this again? Uh, it was called Nomads at the time. Uh, originally, 
uh, started by Frank Noriega. And it was called Noriega's back when the first when I first started playing music there. So so this is the bar like when I first got to Bangkok in like the end of 2008. I went there because they had like an open mic night. Yeah, and I met a bunch of people, and I eventually started hosting that open mic night. Uh, so Frank Noriega is a guy I've known forever, and he's he's been around the scene a bunch, and he introduced me to a lot of people. But mainly he introduced me to this guy, Paul Williams, who I call him my uh, uh, adoptive father in Bangkok. Here. Yeah. He's taken really good care of me. But Paul Williams is the guy that took over the bar after Frank got out, and then they called it Nomads, and they tried to keep it going for a while. And, you know, there was a little an era there, but that's all over now. Okay. But <laughs> that was where you sort of cut your teeth on Bangkok. Yeah. Like nightlife. For sure, yeah. Management. Meeting all the, all the musicians and stuff like that. Right. So then, yeah, years, a couple years later now, the place is still going on. And then I needed a job. So Paul gave me like 10,000 baht a month to like call up bands and try to get people to go play. Because, you know, I knew a lot of people in around town and stuff. Okay. So I did that for a while. And I did, you know, I was doing private tutoring and stuff here and there and, you know, kind of just... Putting it all together. Using whatever skills I had. And, you know, I do speak English, so... Yeah, kind of helps. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of the keys. Yeah. But then, uh, I don't know what happened next. Yeah, that was during the time of the the big protests and shit like that. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there was, like, people blowing up bombs and stuff. I remember sitting down at Nomads and hearing grenades going off and shit. Where was uh, the Nomads exactly? Uh, it was at the end of Siloam Soy 4. Okay. And it's like a dead end down there. Yeah. Uh, which is now like a hugely gay street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was, that's what I was thinking. I was and thinking. There, there, used to be a, there used to be a good pizza place on that street and a good Greek restaurant and stuff. Yeah. But I remember carrying my guitar down to work down there and the guys at the gay bar is like, hello, come in. I'm like... You see me every night. Yeah. Like, I'm not going I in. I know what you mean, man. <laughs> like, uh, I have the same thing. Because I live on Soy 23 in Sukhumvit. Yeah. I, I yeah, walk hello, by Mister. every day. Yeah. And they don't seem to recognize me. <laughs> I don't know what Should that know is. know who I am? Yeah, like, <laughs> I've ignored you enough. You know? Radio yeah. control. Yeah, I've, yeah. No, I've ignored you enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... I, yeah, they probably don't even see faces anymore. I don't think it's so. bodies. Yeah. So... You were you were at this place and then it uh, closed. Or when when would that be about? Oh shit, man! Uh, when did Nomads close? Must have been about 2011. Yeah, I think probably like maybe late 2011. And then we, uh, my wife actually. I mean, you know, this whole time we were living up in a little shitty apartment building. Yeah, we went through two shitty apartment buildings. The first one we lived in. Uh, didn't have a flushing toilet, didn't have air conditioner. Oh, right. The yeah. good life. The good life. Uh, yeah. Back when uh, Kay was a student. And then we moved We moved up in the world. We got an AC and a, and a proper flushing toilet in a tiny little square room. Nice. You know. Yeah. And I had a one TV channel that had English language and stuff. But her sister uh, opened a restaurant in Hua Hin. So this is all, this is a story. This is, the story is culminating here. Culmination. Okay. So after, uh, after I, I left Nomads, I started looking for more work teaching. And an old uh, private student of mine got me a job as a corporate uh, English teacher for Bata Shoe Company. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Canadian shoe company. The Canadian shoe company that's run by an Indian guy. Yeah. yeah. We all think it's an Indian company. Don't, <laughs> don't tell us. You get very hurt when we hear it's not Indian. Like. Oh man, yeah. So that dude, I told this. He's the IT uh, IT head of the IT department. Is my my student that okay. I tutored for a long time, and he plays piano and stuff. And like, yeah. he was one of my old old good friends in Bangkok. Right. I taught him how to say like bullshit or something like that. He emailed the comp the boss of the company, like the head of the company, this Indian guy. Yeah. He said like <laughs> something like. Yeah, the computer shit's all fucked up or something. Oh, man. And he's like, why did I get in trouble for this? I'm like, I told you, like, this is, like, colloquial language. You don't, like, say this to your fucking boss, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was quite funny. But, yeah, so he, uh, okay, he got me a job working for Bata, and I started doing that. And it was a pretty good contract, you know, a couple months work for, you know, quite a bit of money. 
And then Gay, my wife, her sister was opening this restaurant down in Huahan. Uh, she owns a house down there. So she kind of moved there to help her out, and she's managing the restaurant for a while. Okay. So I'm living here. Gay's living down in Huahan. I'm doing this corporate thing where, uh, you know, I have to go and teach these these guys uh, at 5 p.m. every day when they get off work. Oh, that's when they're the most ready and yeah, enthusiastic. Absolutely. No, you so want to catch them when they're leaving. Needless to say, yeah. uh, they canceled the class, like, a lot. And yeah. I'm on the fucking bus out to Bang Na, you know, from around in this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so it just got kind of like, you know, life got a little bit... It came to a head, like, wait a minute. This is not working out. Yeah, what are we going to do? Yeah. Because, like, we can't do this. Yeah. You know, we got to do something else. So, uh, I kind of didn't even really mention it, you know, because we're, like, going on weekends and stuff and trying to see each other. And I kind of didn't really even mention it that, that I started looking for a place to rent. A place, like, okay. where maybe we could start a restaurant. Ah. It's a different place to rent. Yeah. Yeah. And Fatty's was the one. That was the building I found, and I was like, okay, we can live here, you know. It's like a big empty shop house. We can come and live here. There's a couple of foreigners nearby. I sat out in front of the building for a while, and I just watched people walk by, and I was like, you know, and, I, and like I said, I, I thought Bangkok needed something, you know. Yeah. I thought that we needed a place to play, and, you know, Paul, my father who had the bar, which was a music club, you know. Yeah. He had all this gear, and he had offered it to me. And it was just like, yeah, you know what? We should try and start a restaurant. Let's do it. So that was early in 2012. And, yeah, we came and looked at the building and stuff. And then uh, I came to meet the guy, the guy that was putting the place up for sale. He didn't even tell the, the landlord, the owner of the building. He didn't even okay. tell him. So he's like, yeah, come down, we'll have this meeting and stuff. And the owner of the building shows up, who's this young, younger Thai guy. Yeah. Surprised, uh, I'm sure. He's like, yeah, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't know, like, maybe you guys can, like, figure that out, but I want the building. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it, did, it didn't get figured out that day, but it took a couple of days for us to come to a deal there. And we got the building. Okay. And building, was, check. You know, building, yeah. check. Yeah. And it was all shitty, you know? And, yeah. like, there was a bunch of termite-eating stuff made of wood. And there's, like, you know, a aluminum thing separating half the downstairs. No ceiling fans. <laughs> yeah, you need the ceiling fan. I mean... <laughs> so, yeah, we just kind of started throwing stuff out on the front porch, you know, and just yeah. trying to clean it up and get rid of a bunch of stuff. And there was a guy that used to uh, sleep on our pile of garbage... Oh man! Out, okay. front, out on the front porch, <laughs> he knows a good place when he sees it. With like, the keys, and I was like, "I don't know how long you've been living here or whatever, but yeah. like you know, this is my my porch now. Yeah, I have to get the hell out of here. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, man, we just started getting some paint and stuff, and just yeah, went yeah. for it. Went for it. Yeah. It's been six years, seven years. How many years? Six years yeah. since uh, I think we opened July twenty sixth, two thousand twelve. All right, and uh, you've had the gigs you wanted to have, and uh, we've had tons of gigs here, man. Yeah, yeah, and that was the thing. It was like, you know, we had the gear, and I wanted to get a lot of indie stuff in here. You know, I want I wanted to get the scene of Bangkok, the the real original bands and stuff. And okay. I knew all these like old like guys who were into blues and a lot of cover bands and stuff. Yeah, and my friends warned me early on, like, don't let these guys take this place over. Okay, and so now like, this is what we're gonna do, which I think is a little bit. For me, at least, different. I want you to tell us about the Bangkok indie scene as you know it, because oh, yeah, I think yeah. what we've what what I've heard from you in the past, or what we've chatted about, is fatties. What you've been doing, your journey, and some of your music. But I don't know if there's any kind of oral history or sort of a position of what's right. happening. What is going on? Tell me what I'm. I'm new here. By the way, I used to be an indie music journalist in Mumbai. Okay. I used to how long cover... Have, how long have you been here in I've Bank been here Bank? like since January. Okay. And uh, I used to cover music for like three or four years. Cool. I used to want I used to go to gigs all the time. And now I'm like, how, where, what, who, what's going on? How did this come about? And 
let's start from the beginning. Like, All right. what, what do you think are the sort of places that are the places to go for indie music well they're all closed now honestly yeah. oh, maybe some are opening up again. but uh no there's yeah they come and go but yeah all right that's fair um yeah that's something that that was like I- immediately on my radar like as soon as i got here i was like where are the gigs like where are the yeah. bands you know, yeah because like first of all i want to go see bands and went to school in milwaukee and minneapolis and stuff like that and there's like cool bands on every night for like free or three bucks or something you know? yeah yeah so i'm like yeah i want to go see some bands and i you know i play music and stuff obviously but it took me a while it took me a while to really find out what the hell was going on okay and, and what I, did you find i started to yeah i started to worry there was no indie scene in bangkok but uh i think the first real place that i i started seeing you know not your typical Kaosan road acoustic guitar guy playing hotel california and stuff like that you know? yeah yeah like real bands was at a place called the tube which is at uh ratchetewi was it called coco walk or something yeah yeah, yeah coco walk yeah so yeah that was like that and i met a lot of people that you know people that are in my band now and stuff i, I met at back at the tube so yeah the tube was really a, a, there was a there was a little a couple of foreigners that that had a little kind of promotion company called mind the gap mind the gap okay so uh you know and they they were kind of these slightly older guys from the uk i think one of them was australian as well and they were you know they were trying to bring these young thai bands together and and get them showcased somehow you know yeah and maybe more trying to market it to a western audience you know uh because yeah of course there's been indie music around forever but like we just don't know about it. You know? Yeah, uh, there's the avenues are always the issue. Right. The the money is always the issue. Exactly. Uh, you need yeah. your the the problem has never been the enthusiasm. It's always been the support. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, how to get these bands paid and how to get kids interested in them like you know, there's been uh, uh horror stories of of like Sony BMG signing bands just to shelf them yeah. just to make their just, other bands bigger, you know. Yeah, I've seen that yeah. happen all the time as well, yeah. So, yeah, bands, shit. Revenge of the Cybermen was a band that I saw at the Tube, which I loved, and they had this really sexy guitar player. Okay. But she was female. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were just really cool and energetic and really fun. And I was like, yes, I, I, I found it. Like, the scene. It's all, the scene. All of it is here. It's all here. And then I, you know, uh, I got introduced to bands like the Jux. Uh, the Jux played a couple Mind the Gap shows back in the day. They're actually they they got signed to Small Room. I think they're on an even bigger record label now. Okay. Uh, and they totally sold out. They suck now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I got introduced to Pac from Stylish Nonsense. Who, Stylish Nonsense. Yeah, that okay. was a. Uh, He's actually got a couple bands. He's got like uh, My Post Life is his solo project and Rocket Science is another band, kind of more rock band. But Stylish Nonsense is probably the biggest thing that he's done. Okay. And it's it's pretty much him and uh, the drummer, June, just making a bunch of crazy ass noise. And okay. it's not ever much the same, but it's hipster as hell, man. You know, and yeah. Bangkok seems to, to really like that kind of stuff you know so, so let's talk a little bit more about the i think i guess the more granular putting them into boxes kind yeah. of situation what does work as in what let's not say what does work what has come out from this from the bangkok indie scene like what are the bands that have said you know what i'm going to do this and and i'm going to stick with it you know what man honestly not much okay you know so, i i i really feel like you know the the corporate versus the indie scene for music is it's a weird dichotomy, and I think that the 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 indie kids of Bangkok have been stifled, stifled by people trying to make more money off someone else and stuff. Like I don't know how many young bands. I mean, especially nowadays, maybe back in the nineties or yeah, something. It's so know. easy to publish your own stuff, but now. yeah, it's. I mean, it's yeah. so different though. Like back in the nineties, you would have scouts going down in front of cm center or something mall to like 
find people that looked, you know, dressing look up cool. and go there to look cool. Yeah. To get a job modeling or get on TV or get on in a band or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't know, man. It's it, the story of, like, a band that was big in the scene and then they went on to get bigger. Like, that's a story you don't hear very often in Bangkok. Okay. Like, yeah, let's try and boil it down even further. I mean, what have you seen that works, in your opinion, that sort of is some, I would, let's not say universal, but that has some kind of lasting appeal here. I mean, there have been some successful, like, festivals and stuff, you know. Like Wonderfruit and stuff like that? or Not even Wonderfruit. I mean, that, yeah, Wonderfruit is, like, totally next level. They're not much involved in the indie scene. Okay. But, like, Noise Market, they've been putting on bands for many years. Stone Free was one that was really good a couple times. Keep on the Grass has been a festival that's been good a couple times. And it's just, you know, people trying to put something together. Right. I don't know, man. I It's, it's you know, I'm not Thai as well, so it's a, it's a weird thing for me to try and wrap my head around. Yeah, uh, but you've been here for a while. That's why the question kind of yeah. applies to you better because you've, if you, anyone that's watching something for a extended period of time is some kind of course i've got i've got i've got a a little bit of an uh, edge i guess but i'll tell you one thing about the music scene in bangkok is that it it comes in waves big time okay you know so where are we right now we in a wave or we out of a wave right now i hope we're on the uh, on on the beginning of riding another wave but you know bands come and go and and the thing is like tons and tons of people that are that are talented in the scene of Bangkok indie music. They just up and leave? They or? go away and do something else, you know. Okay. So do they, do they take their music elsewhere or do they just get day jobs and settle down? I mean, it it, it depends, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the guy from Revenge of the Cybermen like moved to Australia and stuff and that band stopped. And then, okay. uh, you know, De Garuda, which was a huge band for for this place, for Fatties. Yeah. Um, you know, their guitar player moved to London, you know, and yeah. so they're done and stuff. So, so it and it does. It comes in waves. In the fact of like people aren't interested in it a lot, you know. I think so as well. That's like, what that was, leads me to my next question. In the sense that today's publishing is usually in different spheres that are not traditionally the band rock and roll sort of vibe right now. It's always electronic music, yes, or hip hop production. They might not be your specialities, I'm guessing. Like you No, might, but I mean, but do you, you know, DJs definitely seem to draw better crowds than rock bands these days. Yeah. You know. But in your opinion, like, are they creating original music at this point? Or is it all just people with mixtapes and, and playlists? Well, the high school version of me would say they're all a bunch of posers and they don't even play music. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but I don't know how true that is. I don't really know, man. I don't okay. go out and see DJs play much. Okay. You know? uh, that's fair. I mean, you can't be omnipresent, right? Yeah. Like, are, they, to... are they playing mixtapes or are they playing music? What are they doing? I don't know. Okay. I think a lot of them are pressing play on a, on a computer most yeah, of the time. I, that's true. But some of them actually make the stuff and then go and press play. Like that's uh, that's something I'm I yeah. want to crack down on as well. As <laughs> like I want to see like who's doing it. Like who, yeah. is, who is on this? Well, when I think of DJs, I, you know, I think of like guys like you know from the late '90s and stuff that like were putting samples together, like Moby and Fatboy Slim and shit like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is that's that's the height of like playing records and making music out of it like that you know yeah. no but that still happens but right. the, pro- the problem is um like i don't know because whenever i go out today in bangkok it's usually a guy playing greatest hits of like the, this week or whatever yeah. or or some song from like three years ago and i'm like down with that i get it like everybody wants to dance at that at these clubs that's the audience see that's the thing i don't get it I don't, I don't know I mean, what the hell's going on with the youth of today, man. I'm, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I'm a curmudgeonly old man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that far behind you, but I will I will say, um, think of it from a proprietor's perspective. Like, you have your audience, you know your audience. Like, you know your guys downstairs. We're, we're currently recording above fatties right now. That's right. We're, is, in, we're in the hot box, a.k.a. Uh, the sweat box. Yeah, surrounded by musical instruments and above where the magic happens. That's where the magic happens. That's right. And and you know what happens? You know what the guys downstairs want. Like, so you provide it. It coalesced around fatties in the sense that you drew the people in, and now they're here. Well, you know what, man? Maybe not exactly. I know what I want. 
All right. And if you're into it, get into it. Okay. So what do you want? <laughs> like what what is the what is the guy you see and you program right away? What what is what are the I want them, I want I want people to be happy and I want them to have a, a good meal and I want them to feel comfortable. Oh no, I meant uh, like uh, the artist. Oh, the artist. Yeah, yeah. Who when you program when you get someone to play, like what are you looking for? Oh, as a program, as far as putting shows on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, okay. Who's the guy or the act that you see that I want that person to play at the bar? Well, that's to me. To me, yeah. Most of those people are, are people that don't really draw a crowd. You know. Yeah. If I'm like, hey, right. I like that guy. I like his music. He's original. It's good. You know, or I like this band or, you know, whatever. Like, I like what I like, I guess. And it's probably not what everyone else likes. But, you know, there's there's other kinds of shows, too. You know, there's shows like Degaruda, like I mentioned, for example. Yeah. They have been totally instrumental in bringing big crowds to fatties in the past. So what kind of music would did they play if you can you I would say it that it's like heavy math rock or something like Excuse that. It's the- like... It's pretty hardcore, it's pretty fast, it's pretty energetic, but it's also very technical. You know? Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's not quite like heavy metal. No, no, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing. Very unique to the, to that band, and I think that's why people got so turned on in this town about it, because it was like, this has got the energy, it's interesting, it really got people going, and they, I think they played their first gig ever uh, in Fatties. Okay. Because they were formed from... a parts of some other bands there's two brothers in the band so uh for you personally what is the kind of music you like to experience live yeah it kind of depends on the mood you know bands like degaruda and low fat who's like a hardcore thrash band sometimes it's fun to watch them you know yeah sometimes it's nerve-wracking because everyone's jumping on my tables and i'm afraid they're gonna break something and they, they often do, do. They, they, they do let's, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but you know i'd say that i I'm really into just kind of rock and roll, old school stuff. And I like lyrics and I like music. I like Neil Young a lot. I like Dylan. You know, when Dylan went electric, you know, mm-hmm. watching a whole band make something cool out of out of a simple folky song, you know, that's interesting to me. Fair enough. Have you found some facsimiles of that over here that you managed to program and you felt like, yeah, this... this, this. Yeah, I mean... Jeez, uh, uh, there's been quite a few bands that I've really liked and and have asked back a bunch of times, you know, but not so much of the kind of, I guess, I don't know what to even call it, like rock and roll, I don't know, you know, like alternative rock, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the new catch-all. Not not quite so much of that. There's one band, what the hell's the name of the band? I can't remember now. But they're like the the guy like wears like a jean jean jacket vest and I love no it. shirt underneath. Yeah, there you go. He's this big fat tie dude, and uh, he they sing in English, and the lyrics are just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Damn it, I gotta remember. I'll, we can insert this later. I'll remember. The name of that. <laughs> Probably won't. <laughs> but they uh, they played here. They played here once, and I was like. Dude, we gotta get those guys back now. Oh, they're <laughs> called the Young Wolf. Yeah, the Young Wolf. I like yeah. it already. Yeah, they're good. So, so okay. So, tell me more about the audience or the people that come to Fatties because I feel like that's like eighty percent of what happens here is the people that come. Absolutely, um, it really differs, and you know we've gone through waves too, uh, where people always wanted to come to a show at Fatties. You know, and yeah. Because of the bands and because of what was happening and, and, and the scene was just a lot more active a few years ago, you know? And then I got, the cops came and, you know, when the king died and stuff like that, it kind of screwed up the whole political climate. Like, mm. you know, we weren't allowed to have parties and stuff. We haven't had a Halloween party for like two years, three years in a row, maybe. Okay. You think that's going to change this year? I'm having a Halloween party this year. Mark my words. Yeah, you guys can look forward to the Halloween party right. nothing else. The yeah. big old sausage fest. <laughs> is that what it's called? That's what we've called the Halloween party, yeah. One year we had a we had a how big is my sausage contest because I made a bunch of homemade sausage, <laughs> different <laughs> sizes. So we had a bunch of guys line up with sausages in their pockets. Uh, right, in their pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. And and I guess that's what kind of makes it creative and that kind of fuels the whole thing. Like, it's just banter that turns into an idea that turns into a half-baked plan that turns into an actual Yeah, plan. that like, was, I mean, that's, yeah. That's, that, like I was maybe trying to get into a moment ago. Like, you know, when people come here, I want them to, to feel 
like they're having a good time and I want them to feel like they're it's their home, you know, because cause it's my home and I've always said that, you know, this is my bedroom and Fatty's is my living room because yeah. it is, you know. Right. And uh, geez, if you can convince someone to come hang out in your living room and give you money at the same time, then you're doing something you're, right. You're doing yeah. something right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, so you've got now you've got your base, you've got your people. They've come in, they they hang out, they they give you all these things. What do you want to do with live music in Bangkok? Like, what do you want to do? What is your wish list? I'd just like to raise awareness about it. Really, I'd like to get to see more young people being interested in it. You know, okay. uh, uh, and I don't know exactly how to do that. We talk about your audience as well. Is it still predominantly? Uh, an audience of people from outside of Thailand? I'd say that's just who I can reach the easiest, you know. Yeah. I'd say it's it's about half and half of okay. Thai and Westerners and stuff. But, uh, you know, it depends on the show and if I can get someone to help me to promote it and stuff like that, you know. And Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that, that, that other infrastructure, the local indie infrastructure that does exist okay what kind of promoters are there what are the you spoke also about panda records for instance yeah okay park from stylish nonsense he's, okay. he's the president and founder of this this record label panda records yeah and uh i think kind of how that got started is he had a studio and just started recording people you know okay but yeah it's there you know um there's panda records there's bird sound there's like uh Comet Records and stuff. And some of the promoters that sort of bring bands along. And some of the promoters, yeah. I just played a show last night for John Bailey of Other Roads Records, John Wilsale. So, and he's been promoting stuff like songwriter stuff. Rhubarb and Custard, I'm playing a show for them on uh, Sunday at Apoteca. Okay. I don't know when this is coming out, so don't disregard those days. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's a couple people that have been around. Rhubarb and Custard has put on some good shows over the years. Uh, Other Roads has done some more recently. Panda Records and those guys, they're, they've been involved with like the Noise Market Music Festival and Stone Free and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's how I've gotten on those bills and that's that's how I got on the record label as well, yeah. Okay. So these the promoters do they also when do how do they find some talent or the other do they just troll the internet now or are there other are there any other venues by the way that do oh, live music well yeah of course there are yeah I mean uh, not the jazz blues there's, ones but, you know right? there's there's yeah I mean obviously there's like you know uh, the whatever the the place is saxophone that's been there forever yeah, and jazz, stuff like it, that brown sugar brown sugar and all that stuff but um, yeah. as far as indie venues go like i said i mean they come and go a lot okay you so know? what's the flavor of the month or year? uh day commune is one that's got a lot of good bands lately um parking toys is always a good one oh, uh where are these places day commune is down around like ekamai okay i believe and parking toys is really far away somewhere i don't even remember where all right. I guess those are where people, again, if they really, really want their fix, they really well, have yeah, to other way to get the it. The thing is, like, yeah, it's kind of a small scene, really. Like, you know, you go to a show and you see tons of people you know and stuff all the time. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see more people getting interested in, in rock and roll or, or whatever, you know? But it's yeah. just the world's not going that way, man. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, it, there is a... Let's just say there's a there's more uh, avenues now, so mm. people tend to do more things. But I don't think at all that personally, I have n don't feel like there's a slowdown in music. Yeah, out I mean, it's uh, you know my my perception is probably skewed because I live here in Bangkok for so yeah. many years. You know, <laughs> I think so. But you know what's really good though, which I find interesting, is you are cautious but optimistic. Yeah, you I know mean, you're guarded. Gotta be, gotta, gotta but, be. But you aren't cynical because I I know a no, lot no, of people. You don't know me that well. <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that you you feel like it's not going to change yet, but you still want it to, and you're still Absolutely, waiting. Absolutely, yeah. So cynical people are just people tend to just give up. They're like, oh yeah, this is not going to work. Yeah. But then you're making it work. So clearly, there's. Well, yeah, that's that's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's the best way to fail at something. Making it work. <laughs> I mean, just to say it's going to fail. Yeah, exactly. I've kept this place open for six years out of spite. <laughs> really? I have. Just because everyone's like, yeah, good luck. Yeah. You know? I'm making my own luck right yeah. now. <laughs> You'll never make it. You want to start a dive bar, burger joint, indie club, go ahead, you know? And it's How like, good can it be? Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, true. Like, I've seen so many places come and go, like great places. Okay. Like, why are they closing, you know? And it's, like I said at the top of the show, it's money. Yeah. It, it's just all support about money. and attentions are great, but support is money. Like, yep. let's be honest here. We need to pay the bills to keep the lights on. Right. There are a lot of big lights and that need to be kept on. You know, and which is why I've gone in more to the direction of a restaurant a lot more and more lately. I started opening up for lunch now and I barely have shows anymore. First okay. of all, because I seem to get the cops called every damn time lately, you know? Oh, there's, a, there's a mole in our midst. That, the, the, <laughs> yeah, must be. But that happens to tons of places in this town. And, it, and Is after, there like a license you get for shows? Well, you technically have to have a, a, a license for live entertainment. Yeah. Which you can't even get unless you're in, in the right zone, you know, unless right. you're zoned properly in right. like RCA or something like that. So where we are here in Dindang, we can't even obtain the live entertainment license. I see. So when they've got that over your head and they just want to fuck with you, like, yeah, it sucks to take those punches. And like, I definitely understand why that's discouraging to people, you know? Yeah. And I've thought tons of times about like, geez, maybe we should just stop doing this. Like, Okay. But uh, nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's one answer, yeah. I guess. But you also said that uh, Fatties is not your only venture anymore. Yeah, I'm man. I've on a couple of other things. I've I've got too many irons in the fire, actually. One of those is made of cheese. One of them is made of cheese. A cheese iron. <laughs> um, yeah, I started, you know, I think about it like, Jesus, like last year already. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started another uh, restaurant as well over at Ekamai called The Fat Tap. Okay. Um, that's been about a year now. So the fat tap and the other venture is called and the other venture is called Midwestern Foods. Okay. Uh, so I've been spending all of my time at the fat tap instead of working on Midwestern Foods, but we uh, we make cheese and uh, we sell it to a couple of uh, restaurants in town. What makes this cheese different? Okay, history lesson. Uh, in Wisconsin, there's a there's a long tradition of okay uh, making cheddar cheese curds. Okay. So, you know that cheese has the curds in the way, and that's yeah. how you make cheese. Yeah. Somebody decided that they didn't want to press the cheese and wait for it to age and stuff like that. Okay. So, they just took these cheese curds, <laughs> hello cat, <laughs> and uh, put them in a bag and, and put them out for sale. Just put the cheese curds out for sale. That's it, yeah. And okay. so, it's just like, you take one day... To make your cheese, you put your cheddar cheese culture in and you get the curds separated from the whey. And then instead of cheddaring it, which is like a process of cutting and stacking up the curds. Okay. Uh, they sold it like that. Started eating it like that. So it's very young, you know, it takes one day to make. Never in Wisconsin, very rarely ever refrigerated even. Okay. So they make it that day and then you buy it that day. And if it's real fresh and not refrigerated, it squeaks on your teeth. That a, sounds pretty good. It's a sign of a good cheesecake. Okay. So that's what you make at Midwestern Foods. And we make those at Midwestern Foods. And that, that's been years and years in the making. Ever since I, I first came to Asia when I was like 15 or something, you know, I, yeah. I had dreams of um, bringing cheese curds over because I'm like, why don't these people eat cheese curds? All the street food and stuff. It's like in Wisconsin, we, we batter them and deep fry them. Do you have that here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll eat some later. I feel like I'm going to try that very <laughs> soon. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just like, why don't we have cheese curds? And I and I started getting this guy who was importing them. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been a huge project for many years. And finally, I got a recipe together and we started actually making them. All um, right. And, but also, offshoot, Canada, they also have cheese curds. Yeah, and, and the and, poutine. And poutine is a big thing. So yeah. Honestly, my first client uh, ever selling cheese curds was Bangkok Poutine. I went there. Yeah. I ate that. Yeah. And I was very happy. There you go. Those, my, and those, I, texted, those, I 
send a photo to my Canadian friend and she's like, I don't know. Are you sure those cheese curds are real? I don't know. I've never tried them before and I don't know what they are. So they must be, right? No. Like that was my process those, of deduction. Those are Midwestern but, foods. But I have come to the source. Cake. Amy, I have come to the source. <laughs> I can verify it is go. real. All right. So, wow. yeah, that place is doing brisk business, man. So, yeah, is, well. is, do you, so there is a, a few restaurants in Bangkok that buy the cheese now. Yep, yep. So, you have to make that made-to-order, I'm guessing. Like you said, it's... Uh, well, I, I use it a, a lot. I use a lot of cheese curds here and at Fat Tap as well. Okay. Um, so, I make them in like 30 kilo batches I usually. And I do that about once a week. All right. Sometimes twice a week, yeah. That sounds good. So then you, you you need to like eat it pretty much that day. Uh, we do actually. We we have found a process uh, after vacuum sealing that we can actually freeze the product. Oh, okay. And it, I mean, obviously, it's not going to have this quite the same squeak. Yeah. But uh, we can keep it for a while frozen, and and if you freeze it real fast right after you make it, you know, then you're going to maintain quality pretty well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. Any uh, Canadians or people from the northern United States who are looking for the real cheese, deal cheese curds. cheese curds of any kind, call me up. And it's not a myth. It's a real thing. They're real. That yes. was that was like my main selling point. Like when I first had the, the cheese, I was yeah. like, all right, how am I going to convince people to buy this? I was Did like, you say I'm from Wisconsin? Oh, yeah. That probably helps. That helps, yeah. yeah. But I went over to Bangkok Poutine and I was like, Okay, your place, yeah. it sells poutine, a dish that specifically needs this this thing. One thing, yeah. And you don't have it. You're going to need this. Yeah. And, uh, and you mean it, they didn't used to have it? No, they, they started Bangkok Poutine selling with like mozzarella cheese on top. Well, my opinion has changed slightly. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is... I was just like, you're, you're you're doing a disservice to the world if you're yeah. selling poutine that's wrong. You know? Yeah, and you're the one who's supposed to sell it right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was an easy sell. Okay, that, that worked out. Yeah. So, you've got these ventures, Fat Tap. Can you tell us a bit more about Fat Tap as well? You know, like I said, Fatties is my living room, right? And it's, it's, it's a labor of love, but it's hard work to do this all the time. Yeah. So, I've been thinking for many years, like... How am I supposed to make money, you know? Like, I haven't made any money off this place at all. Like, you know, made some money to maybe get a plane ticket home to, to go to my sister's wedding or something like that. You yeah, know, yeah. To If I need money. But, like, I don't pay myself to work here, you know? Yeah. So, I was just like, I, I want to expand the brand and stuff like that, you know? And I, I had an opportunity and I found this building and I wanted to get draft beer, which I thought would be a really cool thing you know is to get a bunch of taps of american beer and imports from around the world and stuff because i i like beer you know i didn't notice <laughs> and fatties has been a you know we, we've got a, a bunch of different bottles from all around the world in our fridge and people do come here because they want to try some new beers and stuff like that so i was like let's just up the game man we'll do uh, so we got 12 taps over there okay and, you know, good food. Uh, I want to put barbecue on the menu all the time there and stuff. So, I just wanted to, you know, grow the brand and the business. Uh, it's proven to be very difficult. It's proven to be difficult. Yeah. But, I, but, but this is different. Like, this is a different... It's not a... It's, I wouldn't call it a challenge. It's a different idea you're aiming yes, for. it's a whole other world. Have you been able to make that translate, in your opinion? Honestly, not as well as I thought I would be able to. But you know what to do now. Like... Yeah. I think so, and and same thing. Top of the show, it's a, it's a lot about money, you know. And I would like to make money, but you know the 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 reason this place exists is because we worked our asses off here, and like we didn't have any employees for the first year or two years, even. Okay. We didn't have an air conditioner in our bedroom. We didn't even have a bed. You know. Yeah. These are necessities. So right? like all yeah. this, all this stuff, and and just being able to do it and scrape by. That's a that's a rare thing in the restaurant business, and if you don't have a nice bankroll to staff your place and to deck your place out and to fix things that get broken and to you know pay the dude to come and and keep the fucking cockroaches out and all yeah, that stuff, yeah, like yeah. it's difficult, man. So I didn't have any money to put into the other place, so maybe I bit off a little more than I could chew. 
But it's, you know, we're trying. We're, we're, we're still trying. Okay. So the fat tap at Ekamai. Go there. Go there. Yes. Fatties, you should already be here. Um, I think they are here. Yeah, maybe they're downstairs <laughs> right now. Cheese curds. Yes. I don't know if you can personally buy them. Uh, we're trying to get them into a retail situation. That is a whole other thing that I know nothing about, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned. Maybe uh, Matthew will find a way to That's put it right. into, yeah, a, stay a, tuned. A, into a I think, retail outlet uh, near you. Villa Market. They, they might be our first uh, retail. Right. Yeah. Spot. Villa Market usually is very good at this kind of stuff. Yeah. So keep your eyes peeled in the Midwestern foods. Midwestern foods. Look out for them in the cheese section. That's right. And uh, indie music. It's not dead. It might not be dying. We don't know yet. We don't know. We haven't yet. checked the pulse. <laughs> but we're a bit afraid of that right now. But what's going to happen is there are going to be gigs. And if you like music and you want to do something other than go out clubbing and things like that, please be a patron of the local places. Absolutely. Around you. Yes. Uh, that's I... like a message from me. I know I don't usually give these, but you should definitely bring your wallet. And have a good time. That's right. And I, that, I'll, I'll stand behind that message. And uh, yeah, go check it out, man. And, you know, it, there's good stuff happening. There's good stuff there happening. There is. Uh, we get, we, this town is only getting more bright and better. So let's let's bring make sure it stays as diverse as it, all, as it always has been. Absolutely. Um, we so, love Bangkok, man. I mean, this is my home. I, I probably will never leave. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Matthew Fisher, thank you so much. We hope that we see some more stuff from you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time. 